Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Arts podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 253. I'm Jake Litarski, joined today by John Littering. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we'll be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 253, Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. Uh, before we jump in, I want to mention we're running an awesome promo with our friends over at ESPN+. Plus. If you sign up through the links on our site, you get a free month of Rotowire. You know, you're going to need ESPN+, Plus to buy the pay-per-view anyway, so might as well get that Rotowire to help you. Full service, all sports, DFS tools, get you ready to go for week three of NFL action. There are a lot of pickups you want to look at this week. Just go to rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate the ESPN Plus promo on the bottom. Or if you already have an account, click on subscribe now in the top right to begin the process. That just about does it for housekeeping. John, it's been a while since we last spoke. Uh, how how are you, man? How are things going? I mean, you got any uh, any big new noteworthy items from the fight world here? I mean, saw Prospect and Kimaev last weekend, Colby Covington doing his thing. Uh, we got a lot of fights around the corner here, but, you know, since we last spoke, there's been a lot going on. Yeah, there has. I mean, the Kimaev thing's obviously huge. Uh, I don't know, I think the biggest thing might be Michael Chandler jumping ship from uh, – Bellator UFC. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, sounds like they're going to go ahead and push him pretty hard, pretty quickly. Um, makes you wonder. You, you know, we've seen guys come from other promotions and have success. Justin Gaethje comes to mind, and then we've seen guys come from other promotions and really have a hard time, like a uh, guy like Will Brooks. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of which one of those camps that uh, Chandler falls into. Yeah, that's definitely UFC 54. That uh, looking ahead, that is on October 25th uh, or 24th, I believe. That's Gaethje and Nurmagomedov, and it looks like Chandler is being pegged as the replacement fighter. He's going to kind of stand by on alternate. Now, they were originally going to have him maybe fight Tony Ferguson, which would be crazy for a UFC debut. I mean, I think Tony Ferguson pretty much whacks all Bellator lightweights there. 
But uh, Ferguson, you know, he was originally going to fight Dustin Poirier. There was some conflict with the money there with Poirier. Dana White kind of threw him under the bus. Ferguson seems like he's standing up for Poirier, still wants him to get that shot. I want to see that fight, too. So, in a way, I'm kind of glad they're not going to risk burning Chandler on Ferguson right away. Yeah, it sounds like Chandler said that he's not going to have a fight on that card. He's just going to be the standby. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I think that's good. You know, you know he'll come in and make weight, and it definitely gives the UFC a good backup plan. Everybody's going to be looking forward to that Habib Gaethje fight. So, mm-hmm. if for some reason that doesn't come to fruition and it falls through, at least you have mm-hmm. a valid backup plan in place. Yeah, and this kind of gives the the promo audio video team, you know, a little bit more time in case of uh, you know something catastrophic. But again, we're back at Fight Island for the pay per view this weekend, and uh, I'm not entirely sure if they've announced UFC. T- uh, 254 for Fight Island yet, but it would make sense given Khabib, you know, being based overseas. I guess we'll see more on that. But uh, Fight Island compared to Vegas has had a much higher success rate with announced fights actually falling through. Now we've only got 11, I believe, on the card this weekend for now. But uh, I feel a lot confident about those fighters getting there, at least based on these last couple weeks of carnage in Las Vegas compared to you know what Fight Island was before. And I will also mention, now that we're heading back to Fight Island, that's Yaz, uh, Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates there. Uh, now that we're heading back there, it looks like we're going to be back with the full cage, not the smaller one that we saw Stipe DC in last time we spoke, not the smaller one that they use for a contender series and the last bunch of fight night events at the Apex there. So um, a couple differences there that, that are worth noting in the cage. And uh, man, Fight Island's back. Yeah, you know, we spoke about this last time. I think we both voted. We'd go with the smaller cage the whole time, every time if we could. Mm-hmm. It just leads to more action. Um, but it's weird. You're right. There's 11 fights on this card. Uh, the card the other day with uh, Taron Woodley and Colby Covington, I want to say that had 14 fights, yeah. which mm-hmm. is really rare. The most, you'll, the, the most the UFC ever goes on a card is 13. That's usually the max number before yep. fights start falling apart. But mm-hmm. um. You know, nowadays with COVID and travel restrictions and all that other stuff, it's kind of take what you can get when you can get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at one point we, it had 15. I know uh, we've recently added, if you use our DFS tools at all, uh, like the RotoWire DFS lineup optimizer for MMA, you know, we have features on there where you can mass entry and set your exposures and that kind of thing, edit the projections to, you know, correlate with what you see fit. And uh, lately for the last month, we've been actually making projections before. We used to always have it go by uh, either just fantasy points for fight or we would use, uh, we would have the optimizer, like just optimize off the betting odds. But, you know, I've been making projections here for the last month and looking at that card that was just a it was a stack to you know go through everybody and pick you know chance of a first round win second round win third round how many strikes submission attempts takedown defenses that was a beast this one was a little bit easier but unfortunately it means uh, a little bit less action for DraftKings, and uh they do have uh, a contest it's a five four five hundred thousand dollar gpp with 100k to first place it looks like with all the other sports back uh we're unfortunate enough to not see a million maker any time soon uh, yeah maybe we'll see wait, wait around for like a counter fight or something like that if that ever happens but he's got a whole nother thing going on and that's a a whole nother deal so anyway let's just jump right into it john main event israel adesanya paulo costa middleweight championship adesanya the betting favorite of minus 165 comeback on costa plus 145 adesanya 8500 on DraftKings, costa 7500 the odds to finish are minus 260 which I found a little bit strange given Adesanya's last fight, but uh, I'll give my take in a sec. But I want to hear from you first uh, how you see this one playing out and can the belt change hands here? Um, I definitely think it can. Um, This is one of those fights where I looked at it when it was announced and I went back and forth a bunch of times. Um, It's strange. Adesanya won the UFC middleweight title from Robert Whitaker last October um, he looked brilliant in that fight. We all know how tough Whitaker is, and Adesanya essentially blew right past him. You know, his strikes are picture perfect, put together combinations. He looked great. Um, made his first title defense in March against Yoel Romero in a fight that everybody was expecting to really be another action-packed fight, a lot of offense from both guys, and it ended up being what, you know, ended up going down as probably one of the worst title fights in UFC history. One of the most disappointing fights relative to the expectations of, of what was expected from most guy, from both guys. And I'm interested to see how Adesanya fares here against the guy in Costa who you know is going to come at him. 
um, Romero's kind of changed the way he fought over the years. He used to be a guy who went for broke early, but over his last, I don't know, four or five fights or whatever, he's kind of sat back and let the fight come to him and become kind of a counterpuncher. And that's not what you're going to get from Costa. So I know what we know, both know how great Adesanya looked in the Whitaker fight. And I certainly think he's legit, but it's going to be a different kind of fight here because Costa is going to come right after him. And Costa's power is totally legitimate. He's perfect 5-0 in the UFC. Um, four straight knockouts to begin his run. Um, he took a unanimous decision from Romero in his last fight. He's looking at a little over a year on the sidelines. August 2019 was his last fight, so he's looking at about 13 months. Um, Costa, in many ways, is a lot like Romero um, as far as his build. Um, fights at middleweight, but when he walks around, he's probably north of 225, 230, somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think the guy can make 185 pounds. Um, I ended up taking Costa in an upset, and I did it really for two reasons. Um, Israel certainly has a technical edge. He's the more, um, he has the legitimate Muay Thai background of striking. He's a big, tall guy, six foot three, long frame, long arms, long legs, um, can stand at a distance and beat his opposition up. But Costa certainly has more power. Um, and then I looked at the salaries when they first came out, and I was kind of divided. I didn't know who I was going to pick. And then I was really surprised at the gap between the two. Um, Adesanya is 8500 Costa is 7500 I'd feel a lot better about Adesanya if he was 8200 or even 8300 Um The gap of $1,000 seems really, really big to me. Um, obviously, Israel should have a cardio advantage. Um, that's kind of what you're going to get with Costa. You know, he, I expect him to go for broke early, and his cardio's looked a little better lately. But he's the kind of guy who goes into a fight looking to end it early. If this fight goes into the second and certainly the third or the fourth round, there's going to be a serious, serious advantage for Adesanya. And it makes me wonder if Adesanya is kind of just going to sit back a little bit early and play defense and just not let, hopefully, not let Costa get mm-hmm. away with that big shot and then kind of just beat him up on points later. Yeah. There could Um, be a live betting opportunity. If that's a thing that's legal in your state, maybe Costa looks good early and you can get a favorable line and Adesanya because you're right. The further this goes, the better chance, the better Adesanya's chances are. Yeah. And you know, I ended up picking Costa, but this is a risky Costa is a risky pick. If for no other reason, than I find it really, really difficult to believe he's going to outpoint Adesanya over 25 minutes, in which case, if you don't get your Costa win early, whether, you know, maybe not the first, but I would say probably by the second or certainly the early in the third, the momentum and the betting line and all that stuff is going to swing severely to Adesanya. Mm-hmm. So if you be- if you pick Costa like I did, you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket and that you're hoping he gets an early stoppage. And um, the big cage, like we mentioned, the smaller cage here, I think, would definitely favor Costa. Um, if they were in that situation where, you know, he could try and back out us on you. That was the land first bullet strikes. point on my notes. Big cage favors style bender forwards. Yeah, it definitely helps him. No doubt about it. But mm-hmm. the other thing you can say is a little bit in the Whitaker fight um, and in some of his other fights, Adesanya has gotten hit in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's never been an issue. He's certainly handled any any of you know. He's never really been in much trouble. So he's certainly handled all the strikes that have come his way without incident. But we never really saw much. We never saw anything from either guy in the Romero fight. That was just a fight where neither guy accomplished much of anything. So you know you're kind of you kind of leaning towards just throwing that one out the window because nothing really happened. So if you look at that. I'm curious how Adesanya is going to handle Costa's power. Even Whitaker. Whitaker has power. When you look at Robert Whitaker, he's more combinations and volume as opposed to one punch knockout mm-hmm. power. There's nobody yeah. Adesanya's face who hit who hits as hard as Costa mm-hmm. does. Yeah, I think, so I'm I think curious Romero did touch him. That. Yeah, Romero did touch him once, but he, like you said, he handled that pretty well. And then after that, after that, after Romero like touched him once, Adesanya was almost like, okay, no more of that. You know, we're going to play defense here, right? Yeah, he certainly had. There's certainly a gap in the technical striking skills between these two, and there's going to be a gap between Adesanya and pretty as far as technical, just Muay Thai stand up. Mm-hmm. There's probably a gap between him and anybody other than Stephen Thompson in the division. Um, that's probably the one guy who you could say has a kickboxing background and could probably go toe to toe as far as pure technical striking, but. 
you know, when you hit as hard as Costa does, sometimes you don't need all that technical skill. And you'll look at, you know, the one prime example of a guy like that these days, obviously it's a different division, but the one guy is Francis Ngannou. And I'm, I'm not saying Costa is Ngannou, but Ngannou comes across the cage and just barely clips guys and they're out cold. Um, Costa doesn't have that kind of power. Nobody in the sport does, but it's the same kind of idea. You know, he doesn't have to land mm-hmm. as clean as other guy, other guys do because his power is that much more than other guys. Yeah. So it, in breaking down and trying to make a decision on this fight, I ran through a lot of the same points you did, John. I was very much back and forth, back and forth. But ultimately, for me, what it comes down to is the person who's going to stop Stylebender's MMA unbeaten streak is a fighter that can seriously threaten him with wrestling and takedowns. And that's why I did pick Romero the last time around. I was wrong about that. You know, Romero didn't really try to take him down that much. Stylebender does have an 86% takedown defense, which is excellent. That's, you know, as elite as it gets. So he's definitely learned the defensive wrestling side of MMA to keep this on the, on his feet. And, uh, you know, I, I think someone will eventually get to Stylebender with takedowns, but that's not Costa because he has yet to record a takedown in his UFC tenure. Maybe that's in his arsenal. I don't know. He's just been knocking people out. So that's, so that's really difficult here. Um, but, yeah, Costa is not going to be able to take him down. And I think as long as this fight stays on the feet, uh, even with Costa's power, uh, for my money, the edge in in, in just any kind of stand-up is always going to go with Stylebender. Now, you remember he... He only has, what does he have here, eight pro fights or eight UFC fights, I'm sorry, all wins here. He was a 32-0 and as an amateur kickboxer, 75-5 and as a pro kickboxer with 48 knockouts. You know, he just had a storied kickboxing career, you know, prior to coming into the UFC. So uh, every last, you know, technical striking thing is to me lying in the hands of Adesanya and yeah Costa has exceptional power and could he finish him absolutely I would not be shocked I might even be I might even be pretty excited because then we'd probably see a rematch perhaps right away and I think this is a great fight matchup here but uh I just don't think that uh Costa is going to be able to get him you know the defensive work on Adesanya's end is just too much. You know, kind of a smaller target up there, and uh, he's very evasive and good to go. Now Costa, the reason where he could be a good DraftKings play: eight point three significant strikes landed per minute. That's the highest among ranked middleweights. Our, our colleague Richard Mann tweeting that out. While on the other hand. Adesada's absorbed 2.4 significant strikes per minute, which is the least among ranked middleweights. So something's got to give here, and I think Costa's going to have a hard time finding his range, especially given the fact that Adesanya has the 8-inch reach advantage, also a couple inches in height. So with with that huge reach discrepancy in the larger cage, I think you're going to see a lot of circling, a lot of evasive maneuvers from Adesanya. I know Costa's going to come at him, maybe more so than UL Romero, but I still think that this will be closer to the Adesanya Romero than the Costa Romero, which was like a fight of the year candidate where both those guys are engaging uh, like crazy a little bit. So for that reason, I'm a little hesitant on Adesanya in DFS because 8,500 is, it's reasonable. I mean, it's a five round fight. So you, you, you want to get a piece of this in general. I actually like the other five round fight, maybe a little bit better. We'll get to that in a second. Um, 8,500 for a fighter who just scored only 54 points in a five-round win. Um, I, I think that'll probably go down as the lowest of his career. Uh, there are a couple spots where I found a way to fit Adesanya in, but I'm more likely, at least in my eyes, to try to get a piece of the co-main event, which is also a five-round fight, than this one. I'm, I'm just worried about you know evasive things making this fight uh, you know a little more defensive, but who knows, maybe Costa forces the action, like you say, and gets something going. But like I said, man, the, the fighter that's going to beat Adesanya is, a, is the one that can take him down. That's not Costa, and for that reason, my pick's out of Sonya. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. And the other thing we're going to, I'm sure we'll get to eventually or soon or rather than later, is the fact that this is not a deep card at all. It's very, very, very thin once you get Mm -hmm. past the two title fights. And um, for that reason, I think it's probably a good idea to get some sort of piece of both this and the co-main event somewhere on you know just simply because once you get past those two fights man there are going to be a lot a lot of names here that casual fans know nothing about and that's really really risky yeah i mean there there are names on here that i knew nothing about until the start of the weekend some of these guys you know i really had to look up and and dig deep to see what i could find on these guys especially on the undercards here so uh 
Yeah, definitely something to think about here. But I think that does it. We're a little split on the uh, main event, but I think, like we agreed, it can pretty much go both ways here. Uh, So um, let's move on to the co-main event. Light heavyweight championship, Dominic Reyes, Jan Blakovich. Reyes, the favorite, at minus 265. Comeback on Blakovich, plus 225. Actually, that was it yesterday when I posted the article. Now it looks like uh, Reyes minus 280, Blakovich plus 240. So even more momentum headed for Reyes. Odds to finish on this one, minus 210. DraftKings salaries, Reyes 9,000, Blakovich 7,200 here. Uh, John, this is one that I definitely want to get a piece of for the five rounds here. I can see a case being made for both sides, but uh, which case are you going to make? Um, this one, I didn't have much doubt about my pick here. This is definitely Reyes for me. Um, this fight makes sense. Once John Jones decided he was going to vacate the light heavyweight title to, um, we assume move up to heavyweight and make a run there. Um, these were the two guys that really had to fight for, for the belt. There was no doubt about it. Um, it's interesting because you got two guys, you got one guy in Reyes who really hasn't been fighting that long. Um, he only has 13 professional fights under his belt. He's been a pro for less than six years. Um, a good portion of those fights have not come in the UFC. So, so this is a guy who really has kind of come out of nowhere. And it's was surprising to me. Reyes fought John Jones for the title in a fight in which really nobody gave Reyes any chance of winning. That's a place this past February. So really not all that long ago. And, Reyes ended up dropping what was a unanimous decision, but it was really, really, really close. Like to the point where I would like to watch it again and score it over again because um, it was that close. Reyes looked fantastic. Um, he's a big, tall guy. He's got a kickboxing base, six foot four, mm-hmm. big long arms. I honestly built a lot like Jones. Jones is a little leaner, but the the idea behind their offense is the same. Um, tons of kicks power is legitimate not a, i wouldn't say a ton of one punch knockout power but a guy who wears you down with combinations and a lot of kicks mm-hmm. and the volume 4.88 um, landed de- per minute that's solid. my pick yeah yeah volumes there mm-hmm. yep it is and he's looked he has looked far better than i think really anybody could have predicted when he first debuted this was not a guy who had a bunch of hype behind him when he did debut and um you know maybe uh when we look a little deeper it really shouldn't come as much of a surprise um played college football it's tony brook here on long island you know really good athlete um and just an under guy who was pretty much just underrated from the start he was a guy who was overlooked and has really turned into quite a fighter and he's fighting a guy in blakovich who um if you listen to these pods or you read my articles on the site, um, I have not been a huge fan of, but you know, kind of like Neil Magny, I keep picking against them and he keeps winning. There's really no denying the results dating back to October, 2017. So we're pretty, we're looking at three years now. Um, seven, seven and one in his last five, seven and one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are good wins over there. Mm-hmm. Luke Rockhold, Jack Ray Sosa, Corey Anderson, Jared Cannonier. He's Jan Bukovic has beating good guys you know this isn't one of those things where the ufc had no other option so he kind of got forced into a title fight when the you know the champion vacated his belt mm-hmm. he's been good and he's been good during that span and he's been rewarded for it he has four performance of the night bonuses in his last eight fights which nowadays you know it seems like every card we look at a guy or a man or a woman who and we say wow he got screwed out of a bonus he probably deserved one and blakovich has been racking him up um I think the one thing with Bukovic is he's not a sexy fighter. He's kind of slow. He's a little bit lumbering. He tends to wait for his opposition to make mistakes and tries to counter. He's not the kind of guy who's going to go in like Costa, for example, who just comes in and goes right after his opposition. That's just not how he fights. Um, I would think on the surface that's against a guy like Reyes – um, you know, if Bukovic did ever end up fighting John Jones, I would think that would be a bad game plan simply because you got guys who throw a lot of volume and throw a lot of kicks. And if you're constantly getting off second and striking exchanges and letting your opposition lead the dance, that's kind of risky in what probably projects as a stand-up fight. But look, it's worked for Bukovic before. Um, I would have thought 
a long time ago that he would have been closer to being released than ever fighting for a title. Look, from April 2015 to April 2017, this guy lost four out of five fights. I thought it was more likely than not at that point that he would be released. And Mm -hmm. a little over three and a half years later, three plus years later, Mm -hmm. he's going to fight for UFC belts. So win or lose, I... I think it's. I honestly think. It, I think it's just icing on the cake at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't. I never expect him to get this far. I think he'll be somewhat competitive. I don't think Reyes is going to walk across the cage and knock him into next week. But I think Reyes is probably going to take a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during that rough stretch, two of those losses he's since avenged. He got a decision back from Jimmy Manoa, and he knocked out Corey Anderson in the first round of his last fight. Performance of the night bonus. I mean, the the one punch knockout power is there. You know, it might not be quite there as much as Costa, but I think this fight breaks down actually pretty similarly. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take Reyes in this fight because one. I was wildly impressed with the Bones fight. I thought that he won the Bones fight. Um, you know, I've been, <laughs> for better or worse, man, the guy keeps letting me down. But, like, if it weren't for Bones, I wouldn't be do- doing coverage for this sport. He's the guy that got me into this sport, and I've been a, a tentative fan for, for quite a long time. And uh, I was ready to watch Bones lose his belt. I thought I had kind of, I just kind of walked away, sighed, like, okay, belt's gone. You know, good round, John. You know, great, Has there whatever. Been, is there any fighter in the sport who has gotten more close decisions go his way than Jones. Yeah, you know, that's a really tough one, especially of lately, because the Santos one, I thought, was very close with Jones. The, this uh, one, the, the Gustafson one. Yeah, at least the, at least the Gustafson two, he came and really cemented that one. I mean, he was on a, the Gustafson one, you know, the, the anniversary of that happened. I think he was on a little bit of a bender in those couple days leading up to the fight. So, uh well, which is, makes it even crazier, but uh, yeah, that that Gustafson fight was crazy, and then uh, and then even Anthony Smith, he could have easily gotten DQ'd, and Anthony Smith could have been championship, could have been champion with that uh, with that knee he landed. So yeah. Bones has been walking on uh, on thin ice these last couple times. Uh, we'll see what happens when he goes up and fights Stipe or Ngannou. Or anyway, but uh, back to Reyes. I thought he beat Bones. I mean, straight up again. Maybe I need to go back and watch the scorecards there, but uh, Reyes. Uh, at least in the striking total. I mean, he beat him 116 to 104. Um, I thought he did enough to win that fight. And because I was so impressed with that, and because he did that against a guy who I still believe is the greatest fighter of all time, um, that has to be enough for me to pick Reyes. Most of the striking stats favor Reyes too. You know, the takedown grappling stats uh, would lean on the side of Blakovich, but he hasn't necessarily used that a ton lately. Um, So yeah, you know, straight up for our staff picks, for example, I'm picking Reyes, but you know, I'm going to put a little qualifier in here because I almost think that Blakovich is an equally good DraftKings play because he's all the way down at 7200 You get him at such a, such a cheap price. And I'm going to take this opportunity right now to plug, uh, you know, if you've surfed the MMA part of our website lately, you can click on sports betting. Uh, we have odds from four different sports books, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, and PointsBet. And we have a ton of props that we've imported into, the, into this. And you can see them all and you can sort them all. Uh, you know, it, it's a really awesome, completely free feature we have on rotowire.com. And when I'm making my DraftKings lineups, one of my favorite things to look at is the FanDuel Sportsbook always gets this up pretty early. Uh, You click on round one finish bets, and then you can sort them. And, um, yeah, it just tells you who has the best odds of a first-round finish here. And, you know, as the betting odds would suggest here – yeah, Reyes has a slightly better odds of first round finish. His odds are uh, plus five hundred, but Black Blakovich is right there behind him at plus six hundred, and that's a fighter that's so cheap. You know, if you were to ca- kind of weigh the low price guys against their uh, against their finishing rates or finishing chances like this, uh, Blakovich has it, and Blakovich lately has had that one punch knockout power now. It's going to take a lot to finish Reyes. It's going to be the. It's going to need a perfectly timed shot. But uh, you know, Corey Anderson ran through Johnny Walker and was on such a roll until he fought Blakovich and he knocked him right out. You know, okay, everyone's been knocking Rockhold out lately, so you know, not not a ton there. But uh, Blakovich knocked out Krylov. Um, it's, I just, I don't know. Blakovich does have that power and that X factor. Really impressed with that Cannoneer win too a while back. That was right before Cannoneer kind of, you know, went down and made his his crazy run. So um, 
I don't know. Blakovich has fought the best. And, you know, not to knock on Reyes' record or anything like that, but, yeah, he stopped Chris Weidman. He's another guy. Everyone's stopping Chris Weidman. He barely escaped Volkan Ozdemir fight with the uh, with a split decision there. That's one that very easily could have gone either way. He wasn't able to finish OSP. He did knock out Jared Cannonier, which I find crazy impressive. Okay, good for him. And then he beat two nobodies to start his career here. So, uh so yeah, it's a it's a really close fight, you know, for staff picks when odds don't really play into factor or salaries don't really play into a factor. You know, the picks gotta be raised from what I've seen, and that's what I'll be marking down for. But I'd be real, real careful about that. And I don't think I'm gonna use a ton of him. I you know, I'll have about equal exposure between these two as opposed to going heavy on the favorite or the underdog, because I think there's a decent chance that Bukovich can land, and you know if that's the case, then obviously huge payout there, especially at 7,200. If you use Bukovich and one of my other favorite dogs on the card, we'll talk about later. You can put four betting favorites in your lineup, and that seems to bode well. Gives you at least a shot in GPPs. But uh, I know I'm kind of riding the fence here, but you know Reyes is the pick. I would go as far to say that Bukovich might be the better DraftKings play. Yeah, I mean, the other thing you got to look at is, you know, if you don't take someone like Blakovich at such a cheap salary, you're probably going to have to start using people you've never heard of. And that's that's risky. Yeah, it really. Well, is. The, the thing is, is, you know, you yeah. You have to use people you've never heard of when it's an 11 fight card. You're going to end up that way. Either, either way, I mean, Brad Riddell and Alexa Kammer are, are very viable DraftKings plays. Juan Espino, you know, he's going to have to work his way into a lot of lineups just because these guys have crazy first round finished rates. So just because you've never heard of them doesn't mean it's bad, but maybe you're not, you don't go in quite as confidently. I, right. I, the, I exposure, the exposure as far as what could happen, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen guys before, we got some idea what to expect. And, you know, this isn't one of those cards where when you get to the undercard or even the other three fights on the main card, um, you know, you're talking guys who we just we haven't seen as much. And mm-hmm. it makes you feel a little better to spend, what was it, 7200 on um, Lukovic when you, at least you have some rough idea what you're getting. And the odds trade up of him winning are probably less than 50-50. Oh, yeah. But even if you're at 60-40, that's probably might be a better option mm-hmm. than some of the other guys. Yeah, that's the point I was trying to make with the odds. Like his straight up odds, way, way less than 50-50. I mean, Reyes is creeping up at minus 300 here. His odds of a first round knockout are almost the same as that of Reyes. And that's what you're, that's what you're searching for in DraftKings GPPs. And I think he'll be a popular GPP play. And if he does get that first round knockout, you know, probably not going to happen, but might, then suddenly he's got a real good chance to be in the optimal and get you that big payday. So I guess that's kind of where the love for him comes from. But I think we've given listeners the picture on this fight. Let's uh, get to the next one. we got a flyweight matchup. Kai Kara France, Brandon Royville uh, of Kara France, minus 230 favorite. Comeback on Royville, plus 190. Odds to finish. Unlike the first two, this one has plus money odds to finish, which means we're probably seeing the judges involved in this one, plus 130. Uh, Kara France, 8,900 on DraftKings. Royville, 7,300. I'll say right right from the top here, I like Blakovich at 7,200 a lot more than Royville at 7,300, but I think this breakdown's pretty straightforward, John, but I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Um, Royville's actually only had one fight in the UFC. Um, for Tim Elliott in May, ended up with a second-round submission win, one via arm triangle, but prior to the stoppage, he did not look good at all. He was getting worked mm-hmm. over by Elliot pretty good, which is not a great sign because Elliot has a ton of fights under his belt and is clearly on the back nine of his career. And, you know, Kyra France, there are questions about his all-around game, but he is a very good striker. Um, trains at the same city kickboxing camp that Adesanya trains at, Alexander Volkanovsky, Dan Hooker, all those guys are elite strikers. So, you know, Kyra France is really good on the feet. Certainly, Royville is more of a ground specialist, and it's certainly much, much more difficult to ever predict a submission than it is a knockout. You got to get to the ground. You got to get the guy in position, all that good stuff. Knockout, you land one punch, goodbye. Um, pretty easy pick here for Kara France. Um, and I certainly agree with you. I'd rather use Bukovic at 7,200 than Royville at 7,300. Yeah, like I said, pretty straightforward. Kara France has a 90% takedown defense through his five UFC fights. A couple guys earlier have gotten to him, but, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, not the, in his most recent fights. His last fight in February was actually a win over Tyson Nam, who had a very impressive knockout this past Saturday here. So, uh, the advantage on the feet is going to be significant for Kara France. Um, I like him, but I also like him to, 
it'll be the same as his last five fights in a sense that it's gone to the judges, just like the Vegas odds seem to dictate here. Um, I mean, his wins have all scored 69 points or better. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not as crazy about Royville who needed that crazy comeback against Tim Elliott. Um, I think Kara France is fine for cash games at 8,900. Um, you know, he seems like a pretty safe bet to win and the scoring is decent enough, but even in a win, I'm not necessarily sure. I don't, I see him in a ton of GPP optimal lineups. Yeah, it's just, it, it, this is one of those fights. I'm, it feels like we're going to say this a lot, but this is kind of one of those fights where it is what it is. Um, I think, I certainly think Cara Francis striking is the clear best attribute either guy has. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's only one fight, you know, small sample size to the max, but Royval did not look good in the Tim Elliott fight. And he was really, really, actually really hard on himself in the post-fight interview. He thought he looked terrible, too. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, taken with the caveat because he made the took the fight on about a week's notice, did not have a full training camp, but he did not look good. And, you know, Car France definitely trains in a great camp with elite strikers, so yeah. can definitely more than hold his own on the mm-hmm. feet. We'll go with him. Yeah, and the difference is Elliott being an aging fighter on the back end of his career, Car right. France you know, up and coming. So anyway, yeah, let's move on to the next one. Women's bantamweight fight. We've got Ketlin Vieira against Sajara Eubanks. Vieira minus 175, comeback on Eubanks plus 155. Odds to finish to this one. Also very, very likely to go to the judges at plus 225. Get over to salaries. Vieira 8,800. Eubanks 7,400. Again, probably don't need to invest a ton in this one, but I, uh, how are you seeing this one, John? Uh, this is another one fairly straightforward. Um, this will be CR Eubanks' second fight in two weeks. Yep. It'll be exactly two weeks on the yeah, dot. Exactly September twelfth is when she upset Julia Avila. Yeah, so she's trying to come close to uh tying Kameyev's two wins in ten days. <laughs> um uh look, uh CR Eubanks uh there's not a ton here. Um she was a really two weeks ago or about two weeks ago, um fought Julia Avila entered as a really big plus 250 underdog. And I remember thinking at the time, I thought even that was low. I thought, you know, she should have been more like plus 300, plus 315, something like that. Went out, took a 29, 27 times through unanimous decision. Um, and I will say this for you, Banks. She turned that fight into the exact kind of fight she needs to in order to be successful. Eubanks is really limited athletically. There's not going to be any crazy, um, you know, anything crazy. She doesn't have a ton of power, but she's physically strong. And if she fights in tight, she can muck it up and make it ugly, mm-hmm. which is really what she did to Avila. She limited her space and just really just, you know, didn't submit her, but she just grinded her down just in tight. And that's how she's going to have to fight in order to win. Um, she's facing an opponent in Ketlin Vieira who, if she does everything right, should be able to win. But this feels like the same exact breakdown as the Eubanks fight against Avila last week or a couple weeks ago. Excuse me. Um, Ketlin was really kind of on the verge of entering the title picture um, with four straight wins to begin her UFC run. Submitted Sarah McMahon. Um, took a split decision from Kat Zingano and appeared to be, you know, making some kind of headway and then went out last December and was steamrolled by Irene Aldana, who was going to fight Holly Holm either. Na- was that next week? I think that's next week. Yeah, I think that's next um, In the main event next week. And that really kind of stopped any hype Ketley had behind her. Um, the other thing to mention on this fight is the age difference between the two. Ketlin's just 29 years old, um, turned 29 in late August, so just a few days, you know, just about a week and a half ago. Um, and Eubanks will be 36 years old this coming April. So there's definitely a gap in age between the two. Um, I'm not crazy about using either, but I'm really not interested all that much in using Eubanks as an underdog. Her game just doesn't, simply put, it kind of just doesn't translate to DraftKings. 
she, you know, she's not going to score any quick knockouts. She's not going to rack up a ton of strikes. Even if, you know, even if she does win, you're looking at a boring grinding decision, which isn't going to do a ton for you. So not much value there as an underdog. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about her value as an underdog than you are. Um, for a couple of reasons, you know, of course, Vieira that Ian Aldana lost, that was in December. Well, of, of course, that's compared to Sajara at uh, two weeks ago. So for Sajara Eubanks, a lot of times after round one, the cardio fading has been kind of an issue. And that was uh, maybe more of an issue when she was down at flyweight and had such a tough cut. Um, but you have to think two fights in, in two weeks, you know, coming off pretty much a full camp. You know, she was going to fight Caroline Rosa, I think. Uh, she had a whole bunch of fights coming around. So she's had camps and a long time to prepare for these i would assume that she is in uh as good of shape as she's going to get for this fight number one um you know and that mixed with the layoff i actually i really like sajara eubanks at fly flyway when i saw her early and she started her career with wins against lauren murphy and roxanne Modafari, even though they were decisions i thought she looked pretty good she looked big and strong for the flyway but the problem was she could never make the weight and then because of the tough cut the cardio failed so i definitely don't you know, see the strength coming through as much as at bantamweight here, but I think she's got a decent shot here. And, you know, you mentioned the last couple uh, fights. I mean, all her fights have gone to decision, but the Avila fight, she scored 103.5. That was on the heels of nine passes. I don't think she's going to get nine advances against Vieira, but nonetheless, you know, the 100 points in her decision is, is impressive. And 97.5 points in her fight against Sarah Morris. She was a huge favorite in that one. Um, I don't know. It comes down to just not liking a whole lot of underdogs on this card. And I think Sajar Eubanks, you know, this is really the last, she said she's 36. This is the last run that she, she might make. And I think she can extend her winning streak here. Um, you know, again, making largely by making it an ugly fight that you are, but you never know. Sometimes those, uh, the fight metric scorers, uh, with these women fights will give a lot of, you know, a lot of these little clinch strikes and count them as significant. And I think there's a chance that that's something that might happen here, um, with Sarge. So, you know, maybe she gets 80 points in a decision victory. You know, I'm, I'm looking at something like that and, uh, that's perfectly fine for DraftKings when you're only paying 7400 you know does she maybe have an outside chance looking into getting the optimal sure but she's an underdog that I'm comfortable using on DraftKings because I don't think she's going to get finished she never has in the UFC and she'll be able to grind out uh, you know enough fantasy points she's been credited with you know one or more advance in every single fight that she's had uh one or more takedowns actually two or more in all but one you know the Betchkohea thing just confuses the heck out of me I'd like to I'd like to ignore that um she does go for subs, so you, you never know. I think Vieira is a little uh, more talented than some of her past opponents in terms of submission defense. So again, I'm not looking for the stoppage, but I'm looking for about 80 points in a, in a decision. Slight upset victory, and uh, that's going to be fine on this 11-fight card for me. Yeah, you, it's just, I, for me, it's kind of, I think I think there's more, there's less upside there than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Vieja is considerably better than the last couple fighters Eubanks has faced. But mm-hmm. again, this is one of those cards. If you have an if you have a gut feeling at seventy four hundred with the lack of death, you just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's honestly the biggest factor out of all those things I mentioned is the momentum. Like you just keeping the momentum rolling. You know, she's been in there, you know, two weeks ago and, you know, whereas uh it's been you know over nine months for the other fighters. Yeah, I so. definitely think that helps. If you like if you didn't absorb like much punishment, like, you know, Kimaev is the perfect example. You know, this guy's fresh. He's been fighting. He's been in camps and mm-hmm. everybody's talking about, well, the, you know, the guy fights every three weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, if you go across the cage and you're fresh and you're in shape, you can go mm-hmm. ahead and keep fighting because you don't absorb any punishment. And you're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. And even though she went a grueling 15 minutes against Avila, again, she looked great. Uh, you know, she got the points. Um, I don't know. I'm going to take it here. You know, I, I looked at a lot of these other, there's a couple other ones maybe we'll identify in the bottom, but, uh, I just, I had a tough time with underdogs on this fight. So, uh, Eubanks is my pick and I have a feeling that she's going to be less picked on staff picks. So maybe I can jump a spot in there. We'll see. Uh, last card on, or last fight on the main card here, Akeem Duwodu, Zubara Tukugov. If I got that right, um, Tukau, uh, it's basically a pick. I'm in terms of the odds. Some books are leaning slightly towards Tukugov, uh, uh, Duodu uh, minus 105, Tukhuov minus 115, Tukhuov 8,200, uh, Duodu 8,000 here. Again, excuse the pronunciations here. Sometimes, <laughs> I don't know, like I said, they're, they're really stretching these first couple cards on the pay-per-view here. But uh, this looks like it's going to be a close fight on paper. It's going to be a real tough one that I bet you our staff is split on here. 
I like the wrestling of the Khabib teammate here, you know, the Zabira, but uh, I don't know. Are you with me there, John? Yeah, I am. And the main reason is I was kind of torn on this one too. This is a close one. And this is probably than the two title fights. This is actually probably the fight I'm looking forward to the most. I'm not going to get a lot of play as far as um, talk from casual fans or anything like that, but it's two guys who go in and are really willing to brawl and, Many instances, that's kind of the reason I ended up picking Takuov over Duwadu. And it's just everything I've seen from Hakeem is he is just a pure straight-up brawler. Mm -hmm. And he has striking skills. And to this point, his chin is held up. But any guy who just straight-up brawls like that always worries me. Um, Kind of reckless. There's a little bit of recklessness there. And that really worries me. And even though the power is legitimate, he's the kind of fighter who will eat a strike in order to land two of his own. Mm -hmm. And when you start facing better competition, that strategy doesn't work. It will work for, you know, a certain amount of time and a little bit. But when you start going and you keep facing better competition, you start moving up the ladder, that's not going to work. And it's funny. I actually think Takugov is pretty good. The one issue is that we've never really seen him fight. Um, he's 4-1-1 in the UFC, so that's all of six fights, but he's been with the company for seven years. And, um, you know, there's a few things going on there. Served the two-year USADA suspension, um, and then after the Conor McGregor-Habib fight at UFC 229, mm-hmm. they had that whole in-ring, uh, in-octagon, the brawl. So one of the guys the that jumped in the cage? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. So he, he ended up getting time for that, too. So, mm-hmm. um we really haven't seen much of him. And I think he's one of those guys that if he can simply get in the octagon a bit more, um, I think there's might be something here. You know, I don't, I don't think he's a title contender or anything like that, but um, I think all things considered, if we had a bit more exposure to him, I think he'd probably be a bit more favored over Hakeem. So um, I'm going to roll with you. I'm going to take him Yeah. Um, again, straight up pick him. Uh, if you like either of the types to make multiple lineups might be a pretty decent idea to get, a piece of both of them somewhere. Hakeem definitely has legitimate power. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's probably might be a decent idea to get that in your lineup somewhere too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're making 10, 20 lineups, you got to at least have a couple of Hakeem in case he does land that shot. Um, but yeah, generally, if I was only making one, I would lean towards either a fade or maybe a Tukugov. Remember, you know, you're a little over 8,300 per fighter average here, and uh, 8,200 puts you under that. Uh, I think he has the tools to counteract the brawling kind of style of Duwodu, um, whether it's the counter. I mean, Tukugov, the opponents he did this against weren't great, and Kevin Aguilar and Ernest Chavez, and one was six years ago at this point, but he does have the knockout power you know he's had two first round knockouts and his fights i mean have either gone really one of two ways he either first round knockout or he just wrestles you like crazy he averages 2.88 takedowns per 15 minutes of fight time which is you know pretty solid for the division devotu has an 85 percent takedown defense which is great in, in its own right, but he's been taken down by Julio Arce and Kyle Bochniak and uh, really hasn't fought a whole lot of caliber of competition in there. Um, so, so you have that factor going and, and yeah, I think uh, either he can evade the shots and, and use his takedowns to control this fight. In that case, again, it'd be kind of an ugly win, but it's still a win from a relatively cheap guy. I mean, the grappling's there, obviously if he's close enough with Khabib to corner Khabib, how many rounds do you think he's sparred with Khabib? But you know, a solid amount there. So you, you take the iron sharpens iron strategy there. And then of course you have, um, I mean, and and you've seen it too. I I was looking, uh, again, this is also a long time ago, but he's the only fighter to have taken down Hinato Moicano and he did it three times. I was looking through Moicano's record, at least in the UFC, that is. Um, and he took him to a split decision. So it was very close. And Moicano's a pretty well respected featherweight that was on the verge of title contending. So again, with a grain of salt, because it's been a while, but I think the skills are there. He definitely has the camp and the teammates to make him considerably better. And I think he'll come in cool and collected enough to avoid kind of some of those onslaughts from Duodu. And that's why he's my pick here. All right, John. Um, got to look at some upsets, uh, because again, this is a, this is a tough one scanning up and down this card. You know, are you, are you sticking to Costa? Is there anybody else on this card that you saw that might have a decent shot at an upset here? You know, it's crazy. There are a lot of unknowns on this card and this is going to sound crazy and I don't think he's going to win, but I keep 
coming back to Diego Sanchez at 6,800. And I know that sounds crazy. Um, I know. And it really makes me feel crazy because he's a plus five, 10 underdog and Jake Matthews is a minus seven twenty favorite. But I will say this, Jake Matthews is one of those guys who he's now 26 years old. So he's not a kid anymore, but he's been in the UFC for quite a while, you know, better part of five years who was viewed at one point as an elite prospect. Um, you know, talking about, you know, the same in the same breath as a guy like Edmund Shabazi and guys like that, you know, you're talking top tier prospects and he's been up and down. Um, he's five and three in his last eight fights. Um, he struggled at times he's inconsistent and he's primarily handled lesser competition and had a problem with better, better opponents. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't consider Diego a better opponent at his age. Um, you know, we know all the wars he's been in. He's 38 years old. He'll be 39 on New Year's Eve. He's getting up there in age. But, you know, last year he knocked out Mickey Gall. He went a full three rounds with Michael Chiesa. Um, you know, facing guys who clearly he's not as good as he's found a way to win. So I don't think he's going to win. But, um, you know, you can never count him out. And Matthews has been inconsistent. If you're really, really in a jam, you could try that. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, on DraftKings, this is a fade for me because I I personally don't think Sanchez has a chance. But at the same time, I also think Jake Matthews at 9400 the highest-priced people on the slate. I mean, that's, uh, you know, Prime Bones, Rousey, you know, Joanna, what, what have you. Amanda Nunes even territory here. I'm not really going to touch it because there are less underdogs that I like generally, I find it really hard to make lineups when you start out with Matthews at 9,400. So, but if you're in the Diego Sanchez, like light here, if you think he's got a shot, I think it's actually a lot better to bet him than it would be to use him on DraftKings because yeah, you use him on DraftKings and your favorites still all got to take care of business. But Diego Sanchez, I'm looking right now anywhere from plus 400 to plus 525 straight up underdogs. And if you like props, Sanchez inside the distance is plus 1365. So, you know, you're looking at 13 and a half, 14 to one there. Um, that's the payout I'd take if you've got a Diego Sanchez gut, because I think a lot of other people are going to be in that same boat too, when it comes to DraftKings. So, uh, that's why I think a fade is right because he's because I don't see him winning and, and he might get higher ownership because of the name recognition. Uh, because you know, compared to this fight, compared to a lot of these lower fights on the card, people just don't know who these guys are. And then they see Diego Sanchez and he's so cheap, they'll be like, Oh, dude, n- Nightmare Lionheart, I'm gonna take him. But I just don't think I, I, his chin's probably pretty close to being shot. He's not making good decisions in, in, in his in his training, uh, uh, what have you here. You know, he's got, I don't know if he's still gonna have his guru in his corner or what the whole deal is there, but it's kind of been something that a lot of the MMA community has mocked a little bit there. Um, I don't see it, but if you do, um, the bet there for me um, is where it is. But, hey, man, I respect you taking a shot. You never really know there. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, if I was going to do that, I, you're probably better off, if you think he has any chance, you're probably better off just throwing down 100 bucks and hoping you get lucky. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, turn 100 into maybe 1,400. Do yeah, something, so, yeah something like that. All yeah. right. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a weird one I wanted to highlight here. This one is not yet on uh, the DraftKings site. It is the uh, 11th fight of the card. It's somewhere in the prelims. Uh, these are guys that I'm, I will full-on disclosure, I, I'm not crazy familiar with them, but you've got a matchup between Shane Young and Ludovic Klein here. Um, according to William Hill, Caesar Sportsbook, uh, Shane Young is a minus 125 favorite, and the comeback is a plus 100 on Klein. Um, but this is almost an arbitrage kind of opportunity for me. I'm not. It's not the perfect example of that term, but Given that he's a plus 100, plus 110 underdog, I assume that he's going to check in um, at like 8,000 tops on DraftKings, maybe 78, 7,900 when they add him here. And using the tool that uh, that I kind of plugged before, that first round finish one, um, FanDuel Sportsbook is always the quickest one to give us the uh, first round knockout props here. And Klein has... 
three, four, five. He has the fifth best odds of a first round knockout at plus one at plus four thirty. So it goes. I'll just read them for you. It goes Espino, Espino, Matthews, Riddell, Kamur, and then Klein. So the the book right now is giving Klein a better odds at a first round knockout than either the main event combatants or their opponent. Um, just barely worse than someone like Matthews, who's a plus, or who's a minus seven fifty favorite here. Uh, so. Again, I don't know a ton about this guy, but I think he needs to get in the mix, especially if he's less than 8K. That gives you some definite line of things to do. Also, um, I've mentioned this on the show before, but fightmatrix.com does a really cool program, and they're really about you know a lot of analytics, and they've added a couple lately. They have four different methods that kind of take into account um, you know the fighter's record and where they were ranked and where their opponents were ranked and and kind of do point systems that uh, to try to to try to do something predictive. Uh, all four for four, like Klein as well. Um, so that's an odd, that's that's something that you can go after. The only thing is the catch is that no salaries are out yet. You know, if the line swings and Klein comes out at eighty four hundred, I'd be less likely to use him. But assuming that he's less than eight k, he's going to be my guy. Um, and then to mention those fight matrix models, they're also four for four on Blakovich. Um, though I'm pretty sure you can kind of you have to take some of that with a grain of salt because I don't think they have a way to wait the uh, the Reyes-Jones fight properly when it comes to mathematics and an algorithm. Like, that was by far Reyes' biggest fight of his career, and Blakovich has fought all these ranked killers, you know, for the entirety of his career. So I can see why mathematically a formula would like Blakovich. But again, that kind of pushed me, you know, to at least go for him a little bit here. So, um, you know, Klein, as a possible underdog, though, is someone I'm definitely looking at, but you definitely want to wait uh, for Celeries to come out here. Um, I mean... That's pretty much all I got. You got anything else to add, John? Yeah, I mean, my I guess my advice would be if I went over, if I were to go over it would be to just try and just diversify your lineup as much as you can. Uh, you know, there are a lot of names we don't know a ton about here, mm-hmm. um, and I would probably just say just try to make a bunch, try and roll with a bunch of different combinations where if you think a guy might be of some use, um, try and get a little bit of everybody everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, you know maximize your exposure as opposed to just putting it all you know riding on all on one guy because that it just gets Mm -hmm. so risky when we have a whole uh, you know even if you take this fight i know this is a pay-per-view with two title fights but last week's card which was on espn plus and had no title fights was an infinitely easier DraftKings card because you had so many fights with mm-hmm. so many well-known guys and you, you just you don't have that here you had probably four or five fights on that undercard that are deeper than you know three main card on pay-per-view fights here so mm-hmm. you know try and spread it out and just if you have somebody you think might work just roll with it yeah i mean check out the road to wire odds page you know I, I i don't mean to keep pushing this but if you've got you know 9200 left or if you've got 8500 left and you have to pick between a bunch of guys that you've never seen fight before just pick the guy with the best odds to finish or the best uh you know fight doesn't go the distance or the best um or, or the best uh you know round one prop um you know Alexa Kamur and, and William Knight, that's a great fight for that. Kamur plus 80 for the first-round finish, which is the fourth best. And Knight, if you need a pretty deep underdog, he's plus 450, which is the sixth best. You know, it's that same logic I was going with the Blakovich and Reyes, where the, the odds of that, that early stoppage aren't too far off from each other, uh, much more tight than the overall spread on the fight here. So uh, just something that, you know, another thing that you can look at when it comes to uh, trying to pick out fights, especially when we have a very difficult card here. Um and, and again, I usually point out just pure line value. Going to need to see some swings or some fights added to really be able to find that because I'm just not seeing it on the card yet here. So, you know, look at the stoppage rates. Look at the doesn't go to distance. Try to find yourself a combination of guys, fights that are going to run, that are going to go early. And, um, and, and, and definitely, I mean, th- your checklist should be, you know, a couple of one or two of those fights in the co-main and the main because the five rounds are there. Right. And then a couple of guys with uh, high first round finish props. And then, you know, maybe one of those underdogs we threw out there or someone you like. I think that's the formula, at least for GPPs there. And uh, that'll at least get you competitive. It's a it's a tough card, but it'll make things interesting for you. Um, that's about it for me, man. Yeah. I mean, if yeah, I totally agree. You know, if you're looking for guy, if you're looking at guys who last 10 wins have all come via decision, probably a better idea to look somewhere else. 
Yeah, right on. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Again, that is brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 253. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter, John Littering, at J O N L I T T E R I N E. Uh, we'll get you all the when as soon as the previews are up and ready to go. Uh, I'm Jake Latarski. You can follow me at Roto Jake. I'm always trying to, you know, a lot of fantasy football stuff in season now, but I'm always trying to get our MMA content to plug, including, uh, you know, props, line movements, all that kind of things that'll help you make. DFS decisions here. So it's been a pleasure, John. Uh, we're going to be back with you guys prior to UFC 254. That's Khabib versus Gaethje on October 24th. Uh, great mi- month of fights ahead at Fight Island, and uh, good luck to all you guys on DraftKings. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.